Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Sir, it's never the underdog. Yes, sir. It's never the underdog. Yes, sir. What's up, Duke fans? Welcome to the Devil's Den podcast. I'm your host, Josh Smith. Join my co-host, Raul and Shu. Um, it's our 100th episode for just us three, so we thought we would do something a little different. Decided to bring back the OG Chris Bunn, um, the old school kind of host. A little nervous here with uh, with Chris on the pod, so we'll see how this goes. Um, Chris, it's been a little while since we've heard from you. Obviously, COVID happened. Things got a little weird. Um, been a big change at Duke since you've been doing this. Obviously, John Shire's now now the head guy. Um, let me just start there because I think that's the biggest thing. And then we'll talk a little bit about the Blue Devil Challenge and we'll preview Arkansas and all that. But just your thoughts on going from K to Shire. Any surprise, any kind of hiccups? What do you make of it so far? Yeah, I mean, I mean, there's certainly a lot to unpack, right? Like K's final year. Uh, specifically like how it ended the, you know, farewell tour starting with John basically the next year. Um, and there's a lot we can dive into with that. Um, broad strokes. I mean, I, I was, I, I was sad to see coach K go, you know, like as a kid growing up in North Carolina, I, I got to, I was very lucky. I got to go to a lot of Duke basketball games. And so coach K was this very influential like figure in my life you know i read his books you know i watched yeah. his teachings i went to his camps and stuff and so coach k was in essence like a leader for a lot of duke fans just you know spiritually you know in that way to kind of follow through his teachings and see how that manifested not just through basketball but through life um so to see him go i, I was very very bittersweet um i was very happy for him you know he gets to go home and retire and, and work on his garden and everything um but seeing the program transition i was uh maybe skeptical of um you know i, I i'm a very big uh, soccer fan uh and so i had just watched one of my favorite clubs go through the same process right so uh, Arsenal Football Club went through the same process with their legendary manager, Arsene Wenger, about five years ago. Uh, he was there for like 20, 30 years. He had won all these championships. He had an undefeated season. He was one of the best of all time. And he leaves the program and they bring in somebody else who is outside of the family and it does not go well. And to get back to where they were, they went back to the family and they brought in a, a former protege of Wenger's uh, and this guy named Mikel Arteta. And about the same time they're bringing this uh, uh, Arteta back is about the same time that Kay and Shire were transitioning. And I mean, I think you guys know this, obviously, but like Coach K is a big military guy. And one mm-hmm. of the things we like to do in the military is a bit of a transitionary period. So it's not just a hey, here's all of my stuff. Go do my job now. It's very much a, a prolonged shadowing experience sometimes, especially in like the higher ranks. So they understand what working on the job means, what it means to actually do this job full time. And there's a handoff that 
make sure that there's like safety guards in place. So if they f- something up or if they screw something up, uh, sorry, um, <laughs> then there's a safeguard there. Right. And so Cade kind of did that with John in that, uh, that farewell tour, basically saying, here's how you're going to run. You can run the show. Now, John's going to put a spin on it. He's a very different coach than coach K. Um, but seeing that process go through, I thought was actually really smart because it allowed John to assimilate into the job without just being thrown into the water, right? Like, you know, some kids learn how to swim by being thrown in the water, but not everyone does. And you can't really know how that's going to go until somebody has hands-on experience. So I like that that transition took place where John could really learn on the job with, you know, some guardrails up. Um, It's gone pretty well, I think. I mean, I'd be curious to hear what you guys are are, are looking at now because, you know, I'm looking at it from a 3,000 foot view. I'm not as invested as I used to be. I'm not diving into the numbers every single night after every single game. I kind of just look at it as, uh, you know, I want to take like qualities over the quantity um, of the Duke basketball team. So I think John's doing a great job so far. I mean, sure, he could definitely be better. But for a first-year head coach, um, there are not that many head coaches in college basketball history that won more than 27 games in their first season. Um, So, you know, shout-out to John. He's doing a really good job so far. But it's a hard profession. Uh, It's notorious for chewing people up. And it's also very finicky. You know, recruiting cycles start going against you. Maybe a couple of recruits that you really won't don't pan out. It can go bad quickly. Um, But that said, I think he's doing well so far. It's tough because he's, you mentioned being thrown into the water, but it's really like being thrown into the water at like Niagara Falls, where like everyone's also watching you try to like swim and this stuff, right? You're not at like, a, um, you know, I use my, like you're not at like a UNC Charlotte or like maybe even like an App State or East Carolina where you get a chance to do this stuff under the radar. It's like, nah, this is Duke. Um, I will say for me, as I'm such a fan of John the person. Right. And like knowing him as a player, not that long ago. Right. Like I went to so many games during that 20, 2009, 2010 season. Um, I think that for me made it like a lot easier. And we talked about this on the pod, too, of just um, feeling like he's one of us versus bringing in maybe someone outside. Um, it's it's a tough gig. Right. Because everyone wants to be the guy that follows John. No one wants to really be John. So it's, you know, um, I think people overestimate that point a little bit for you. Like. John didn't get to go and start at Elon or App State or whatever, work for a few years, get some years under his belt, take him to the tournament, see what that's like, and then get another stepping stone job to get the Duke job, right? He started in the deep end. And granted, now he had 10 years of experience as an assistant coach, so he kind of knew what the job was, but it's still not easy. Like you said, you can't just go into a, a power, you know, a top you know, blue blood job like that and just immediately start winning 30 games a year. That's what made Coach K so ridiculous. That's why that wins record might not be broken, you know, for a long, long time, because that dude won 30 plus games every single year. And Shire has to come in and, and replicate that or at least keep the standard up enough that he doesn't get, you know, fired. That's that's really hard to do at a at a program like Duke that's going to have really high expectations off the bat. I mean, we just seen it from Carolina right now. They had a great stretch there and made the final four run. But outside of that, it's been a little up and down, right? It's not been this, you know, consistent thing. And at a blue blood, the expectations are what they are. So, um, yeah, yeah, it, it's tough there. I uh, like that you sorry to jump in. I like that you I mentioned know. the recruiting. Um, for me, that's been the big thing. The fact that it hasn't fallen off at all. And if anything, it's only gotten better. To me, that gives John such a big leeway or, you know, slack really to 
learn on the job by having talented recruits to play for him. Yeah, it's huge, right? Like in basketball, you've got four or five guys you can bring in every single year. And the fact that he's bringing in high impact guys, guys that he's already put in the league, like Derek Lively, one of his first recruits already in the league, making a big impact with Dallas. Um, And so the fact that that didn't slow down at all, right? Like he like immediately went from, you know, Coach K's putting pros in the league in 2022, John Shire's putting pros in the league in 2023. Like that didn't miss a beat. And the fact that that happened has kept the program at that high level. It's why they're going to continue to challenge for 30 wins every season. Yeah. Yeah, and it doesn't hurt when you have a Cooper flag to follow that up, right? So, like, you got a Kyle Filipowski that, and you're leading in a Cooper flag. I mean, that part seems there. Um, you know, I think to sustain that, you, you're going to have to keep winning. But, you know, I, I've always said that recruiting in college is probably like 70% of the job, if not more, when you think you got to have talent. Um, so, we'll see. I do like his his model so far of trying to at least identify – a few guys within each class that's like, I can count on these guys to probably be here, right? I can build culture around these guys. Um, Cause that to me has been the biggest refreshing to have three or four guys come back four starters from last year. Those th- the three sophomores come back. We just don't see that really much at Duke. So, um, you know, maybe, maybe that's a shift. NIL probably has a little bit to do that, but still didn't lose anybody to the portal last year. Maybe might be different this year. That's not going to stay the same, but I think it at least suggests that he's taken a slightly different approach and maybe not poaching the Trevor Keels of the world that you're one and done, right? Or th- those guys that are fringe, you got to keep them now. You, you just, you can't lose those guys anymore. Um, so, well, I mean, you bring up a great point because one of the, one of my criticisms of the latter coach K years was that the one and done approach was useful because you got incredible talent in, but the problem was that you were churning so much that Coach K was spending basically November and December every single season teaching us how to play with each other first. And that's fine. It's all well and good. But it meant that your runway for coaching that team up was so much shorter than what John might be dealing with this year, right? Because, like, John doesn't have to tell these guys how to play together. He might have to tell, like, you know, some of the freshmen how to, like, where they fit in with the returning guys. But that's a lot easier to do when you have guys like Filipowski or Jeremy Roach kind of in their places already and you can bring in the new guys and say like all right cool we've got guys here here and here we just need to plug these gaps but when you're bringing in five six seven eight new guys every single season nobody's filling gaps everybody's just trying to like it's like musical chairs right like you're trying to grab a chair and like see if you can get a starting spot but that doesn't teach you how to play with the people that teach you teaches you how to get your starting spot and i think Coach K's teams, I mean, it's just my my take on it, but I think his teams fell victim a lot in those latter years to players trying to play for themselves and their next step rather than playing inside the team concepts because it just wasn't a scenario where that team concept, that backbone of the program really existed. It it had gone out the window once we were turning out five, six pros every single year. Um, There's an upside of that, right? Like you, incredible talent. The freaking NBA is littered with Duke pros. But the downside was that the Duke basketball program just didn't have the same continuity. It was hard to hard to stay in touch, you know. Yeah, yeah. And you mentioned the short runway. I think that's a good point because it 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 really like we've seen Duke teams under K kind of like hit November or so and like really get kind of firing. The downside though of that is like it seems like once he found it, it's like okay, I have such a limited time span with this group. Once I find something that works, these are my six, and we're just going to trungle through the the ACC gauntlet. And there's 
there didn't feel like there was any like upward mobility past like January, like late January, early February, right? Like Duke always notoriously hit the wall in January. You get blown out by state, Miami and insert, you know, at Virginia Tech or whatever. And then we, we kind of write the ship, but it was like, there was never that like upward, we're going to see all of this growth, like the Derek Lively last year, right? We're just at the end. He just really transformed. Tyrese Proctor really transformed. Um, it just it didn't feel like there was a ton of that. And I think for me, and maybe y'all can jump in too, is it kind of jaded you a little bit to the program where you're just like, you know, 2015 was really cool, 2016, 17. Okay, we're getting all these guys. And then when it stops like resulting to like banners, it kind of becomes like, okay, so what? Like you get the number one recruit and you're not even like super hyped about it, right? You're like, okay, let's do something. Let's win. Um, so, you know, th- it is a double-edged sword, I guess. But I, I don't know. I, I'd rather have them than not have them if, that, if that's where we're at, you know? Yeah, I mean, when the choice is between more talent and less talent, it's always going to be more talent and figure it out. The problem yeah. is that it took so much time to figure it out that it was hard. You just had no time to really get them clicking. But yeah. when, you get, when you have guys like Filipowski or, you know, Proctor, like coming back, you can count on them as pillars, right? Like you can say, like, all right, cool. I got these guys locked in these positions. So, and you know, I'm just throwing this out, out there. I know we play Arkansas tomorrow. You can say against Arkansas, all right, cool. I've got Flip. I've got, you know, Proctor. I've got Mitchell in these spots. All right, let's try something new. Foster, you're going to start. You're going to start alongside, you know, Proctor, whatever. And you have a more stability for them to try and experiment around new things. Maybe even try players in different positions because, you know, you have some guys that you can just count on to get like 20 and 10 or whatever you need that night. Yeah. Yeah. Sean uh, Stewart at the point. Is that your hot take? Man, he could do it. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's good. I like Sean Stewart. A lot. I love Sean. Yeah. Yeah. He's yeah. one of those guys that like, you watch him play basketball, like, okay, this guy gets it. You know, there's some guys who look like they're just trying really, really hard. Sean, it looks like basketball kind of comes easily to him. He knows where to be. He knows what to be doing in basketball situations. Um, I like that. It's it's You can't teach it. It just comes naturally, and that's why I like Sean. You also yeah. can't teach his uh, physical gifts either. I yeah. think once he starts getting minutes, he's going to be a monster rebounder for us. Yeah. You know, he did something in a game. I forget who it was. Um, two or three nights, uh, games ago. But – he had like three or four uh, missed layups at the rim, but he kept going. Yep. He kept going. And he yep. had that second, that third, that fourth jump. And it just showed like not only a tenacity to keep pushing and everything, but just size and skill. Like he knew what to do to get each rebound until he could get that ball back in. And that's not something you just teach, you know, like it's just kind of like a want to. Um, that's yep. why like, rebounding is not really about size as much as it's just about effort and positioning. Um, Stewart seems like a guy that knows that. And it's yep. really cool to see. It's rare too to see that with like usually you see that sort of grit, grind, hard work with some of the like less athletic guys, right? But when you have a package like Sean Stewart, like athletically, to still have that is like, dude, the the development arc for him, if he sticks around for a while, is gonna be really cool to see over a couple of years. Um, because once yeah. the skill and the shooting catches up to that, I mean, you know, you could really have I want to see him as a small ball five personally, but you know, I, I think there's room there to see what he could do. Um I, I like him a lot to like a, a Bam out of bio or somebody of like just to see what he could do in space, defending pick and roll. Um, maybe not, you know, we, we did mention point Sean Stewart. So <laughs> there we go. But uh, sure, yeah. um, well, let's jump in and talk a little bit about this team. Before we do that, though, we'll take a quick break and then we'll be right back. All right, well, let's jump back in here. So we've talked a little bit about the the um, the current team. Obviously, I mentioned it at the top, the Blue Devil Challenge, Duke took on. Um, right, kind of during the Thanksgiving break there. 
um, Bucknell, and Southern Indiana. Uh, the Southern Indiana game probably didn't go as well as we all kind of wanted, you know, pretty much a dogfight. Um, did not expect to be down four at half to a team you're favored to beat by 37. That's probably not the best of looks. Um, but, you know, they ended up pulling it out the second half. They went by 18. Um, we'll see. I do think there's something to monitor in terms of the slow starts that started to kind of trend these first halves of just kind of getting blitzed or not figuring out what we want to do, or I don't know if it's preparation or I don't know if it's schematic or whatever. Um, do you look into that at all of like a trend of like, okay, why are we not kind of showing up ready to play? Or do you just kind of chalk it up as now it's November or five, six games in, we'll see what happens. Yeah, I mean, to be honest with you, I think that's like a game by game call, right? Because the, the reasons why a team would not show up against, say, Southern Indiana versus why you wouldn't show up against, say, Michigan State are going to be wildly different. Um, Southern Indiana, I'll be honest, I didn't know there was a school in Southern Indiana like that. Um, <laughs> when I saw that on the schedule, I was like, I think that's supposed to be Southern Illinois and it's just a typo. And it was not. They exist. Um, games like that, I mean, as a basketball player, you have to be it has to be difficult to motivate yourself for that game right because your your prep for that game is more often than not going to be we're going to run our system we're going to do these things we're going to use this game as practice to get you know certain plays down certain lineups working right and so you're not necessarily going into that game saying okay we're playing southern indiana we have to win by 40 right like you're going in trying to do certain things use it as a way to develop and get better um, and it's the perk of a college basketball non-conference schedule, right? Like it's not like the NBA where you're playing like a top team every single night, right? There are going to be nights in college basketball where you play a team that is just so vastly inferior just because of the sheer scare, uh, scale of, of college basketball, right? 350 teams, teams in the 350 area are not going to be anywhere near as, as big, fast, skilled, uh, just competent as teams in the top 50 it, it's a huge disparity and i think you said the spread was like what 35 37 36 yeah. yeah so like i mean as a player i don't think you can go into that game like fully locked in right like you're going into that game saying like all right cool i need to to work on the pick and roll we need to really get good at this we need to do x y and z so personally i don't really pay attention to games like that very in depth if i see a three next to the opponent you know on kimpom i'm just not watching that game because i'm not learning anything from how they play in that game what i'm going to learn is you know from the games against competition actually matters like arizona michigan state arkansas is a great one uh and an acc play because there's just the talent disparity is just wildly different wildly different yeah um, well, we've mentioned it a few times, so I'm going to just jump ahead and then we'll come back because I think it's just so prevalent right now. You mentioned Arkansas. We got the ACC SEC challenge coming up. Um, prior to the season, we had all kind of penciled this game as like a big marquee game. Now it feels kind of like a lose lose situation a little bit with the way Arkansas has kind of fell off. They're four and three. I think they're like one and three in their last four or something like gross like that. Um, now it becomes a little bit of like, do you look at this as like, oh, this is a must-win game? Uh, and not just because Carolina just beat them. Obviously, we want to beat them just for that reason as well. But it's it's a first true road game. Um, I've already seen where they're selling the towels. We're wearing the black uniforms. It's set up for the typical, you know, December slaughter here. Um, what are you looking at for this game now? Like, how desperate do you think Arkansas is going to be? And can we match that? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a good question. Uh Arkansas is one of those teams, and granted, I, I don't know them that well. I saw a little bit of their game against Carolina. They're a, a, a shallow team, 
you know, they've got like, I would say eight players that they, they really play a lot. And I think part of the reason that they're struggling over the last, uh, their last like four games is they played three in three days. And for a team that's like seven, eight deep, uh, especially when you're really, really shallow at guard positions, you're not going to do well for three games in three days. And they lost uh, really they went into double overtime against Stanford. So already yeah. played, uh, was that 50 minutes in a, in a basketball game. The next night you got to turn around, you got to play Memphis. Memphis plays hard physical basketball. You lose by five. Okay. Tough beat. You're turning around. You got to play Carolina in a game that is really inconsequential and you just kind of have to be there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're not showing up for that game. I'm sorry. Like you, you're just not going to show up for that game. Now they played hard. They're going to do their best, but like it is what it is. Losing to UNC Greensboro, though, that's that's damning. That's a bad loss. Like, mm-hmm. is Wes Miller still there? Is he still the head coach? No, he's at Cincinnati. Yeah, okay. Okay. Still, the remnants of the program that he built are not bad, but that's not a loss that Arkansas should be taking. Um, so that said, it kind of is a must-win for Duke because a, a loss here doesn't look good on the resume, I think, come March. Um, I don't think Arkansas is going to light up the SEC. They don't. They don't look that great to me. Um, I think Kentucky's probably going to run away with that, that conference. So I think it's going to end up looking like a bad resume uh, loss, maybe like one of those like quad two losses. I, I forget how they do tournament stuff. Now, yeah, I think the cutoff is uh, top 75 if it's on the road. So yeah. they could hang around maybe in the top 75 potentially, but right now they're not trending in that direction. So we'll see. Yeah, that's that's a tough one. I, I think for Duke, you you have to go in and at least make it a close game. If you lose like in the final minute from free throws or a game winning shot, you know that's that's basketball. It is what it is. You can't go in and get blown out uh, at Arkansas because people will see that and it'll stick. Um, mm-hmm. There's also like, you know, we talked a little bit about this with Coach K. Like the Duke program still has that air of duke basketball right so people watch the games people tune in to see what duke is doing and if people tune in on a wednesday night primetime on espn and see duke get housed at arkansas at a four and three arkansas team <laughs> and it, it's not good optics it just isn't yeah. and like college basketball is a lot about optics because the parody is so great um or so wide that it's really about how good you looked throughout the season um and then when you get to the tournament tournament time you can kind of start parsing resumes for that bubble crowd but like for duke you know a big loss here could be the determinant factor between a one and a two seed you know in march and that's a big difference mm. yeah i mean i think you know when i look at it one is if if Trayvon mark is going to play is, is yeah. the biggest factor right this kid's a stud um if he if he's not there then it, it's a must win game like if he's not playing you have to win this game um what exactly what I, happened with him by the way i he went off on stretcher, bad. right yeah, it, it took a bad falling layup. Yeah, okay. I think his back's messed up. Um, so that could be, you know, as someone who just with that too, like if that spasms up or if that's all tight and stuff. It could have been a, from him carrying that team. I mean, he had 34 <laughs> points. The next guy had like nine. Yeah, like he's true. like, bro, get me out of here on the stretcher. <laughs> if we're going to lose by 20 to Carolina. Um, yeah, I mean, they're going to be fired up for this game for sure because they know that like this is a game where you can like, swing your your season back right you win this you move to five and three you got Furman coming up you got a very beatable Oklahoma team ahead of that then you got a bunch of cup like you could easily get to like 10 and three if you win this game um however you know I think Duke's the better team you know I don't think that much is too much in question but just looking at some of their 
their uh, advanced stuff that scares you is the block percentage is insanely high. And so if we're not, if we're struggling to finish at the rim, I'm looking at a, you know, I'm not calling guys out, but sometimes Proctor can struggle to finish through contact at the rim. Sometimes Roach doesn't, is able to do much there. Even Flip. M- McCain. <laughs> yeah, McCain yeah. has had a really tough time finishing at the rim. If they're just or Mark throwing just our get stuff. fouls called. I mean, it's going to be, yeah, it's going to be and, hard to entice those. And that's the other thing is they go to the free throw line a lot. Top 10 in terms of free throw attempts to field goal attempts. So if, if they're getting to the line, if the game is being officiated that way and they're allowed to quote unquote block all of our shots, that's not going to be the best place. Um, yeah, they're going to get the home whistle. Like, just go yeah. ahead and bet on that. They're going to get it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, it, I hate to say this because, like, I don't want to come across as that guy, but, like, refs love the spotlight, especially college basketball refs. And so an opportunity to get a Duke game on the road on a Wednesday night at primetime, we're not it, – it's going to be a home whistle. Like, I think you have to go in prepped for that, knowing that Arkansas is going to be physical and they're going to get away with it for a little bit. And Duke's probably going to get into foul trouble. Like – They've got a, they've got some big guys. Mackay Mitch was like a really really big tough guy to deal with. Uh, what's the other guy? Um, Brazil. Brazil. Uh, Brazil yeah. yeah. Um, they block shots. They're physical. Like Flip's going to get two fouls in the first five minutes, and it's going to be a really tough adjustment after that. Yeah, I think those first four, and we talked about the slow stars. These first couple minutes in this game are going to be. I mean, you can't. You can't get blitzed, right? Where you like they just stuff your first one, or you throw a pick six, it's six nothing immediately. Um, that place is going to get rocking pretty, pretty hard there. LLS um, goes for like three threes right off the bat, and then what he did to us last year. Yeah, we were just fortunate that it was Louisville, and they are <laughs> absolute terrible. Um, so yeah, I mean. I don't know. Like if, if it's we're setting this up for a loss here, I hate to to be so pessimistic. Let's, let's flip it around a little bit here. Um, shoot, I'll go to you first for this one. Why not? Like, what do you see as the keys to this game for Duke to win? I mean, I think just staying poised because this is going to be a it's going to be the most raucous environment we've been in, obviously this year. Now, granted, we've got sophomores, which is nice to have guys that have been in this position. But for like McCain and Foster, we're going to depend on uh, giving us a little something. Um, even Stewart, you know, I think they just need to stay poised and handle it because I think Nolan Richardson, I don't know if you guys were, well, I know Raul was alive, but yeah, uh, the old coach <laughs> that, that beat us in 94, you know, he's going to be there. So it's going to be, uh, it's going to be rowdy. Yeah. I mean, that uh, MSU game we played in the first half there, we just made so many careless errors. We can't do that again. Um, yeah. They're just going to turn them into transition points. I mean, uh, you know, Roach and and all that we're kind of like making some lazy passes there was a lot of travels things like that so i would just like crisper execution i think yeah um yeah i mean i don't know button do you see anything different in terms of just like duke wins if oh man you know i i think shoe hit it right on the head i think you got to show up composed you have to be poised you have to be ready to play because if they come out and they start on like an 8-0 run like they just they're ready to go right off the bat that's a really hard hill to climb back when you're on the road, probably not getting a friendly whistle and you're going up against a team like who is very well coached. Like Eric Musselman is an outstanding head coach. And so they're not going to give away points easily. All right. Like they don't turn the ball over a crazy amount, but they also don't really like make a ton of mistakes. So they're not going to just give you free points and let you back into the game. They're going to make you grind for it. And that's what I worry about getting into a big hole and this then just not being able to dig yourself back out because of how smart and well coached they are. Yeah. Yeah. I think too, like the first thing you said about flip getting too foul, we're kind of joking about it, but that 
cannot happen, right? Like flip has to be in this it's game. It's been a trend too. Yeah, it has been a trend and the non-flip minutes can get kind of ugly at times out there. Um, he's our biggest weapon all over the court, like whether that's using him in the short role as a passer or creator for Mitchell in the dunker spot. That's been a play Rose talked about. Like that's a great go for us. He can pop for three um, when he's engaged and motivated and frankly quite like a little bit pissed off. Like he hits another gear for us um, that can carry us offensively. If he's not in the game, um, you know, no shots to anyone else that is, but playing a team that has a block rate like Arkansas could get pretty ugly. Um, I would like to see us take advantage of their aggressiveness and maybe get some of those calls, get some guy off their feet, right? Start to try to get some contact, get to the free throw line. Um, for me, it, it's it's got to be guard play. I know I just talked about flip, but we got to have strong guards here. Um, looking at Jeremy, looking at Tyrese. For whatever reason, Jeremy's had a little bit of a traveling problem randomly here. I don't know what that's been about. He's had like five travels in like the last three games. Can't happen. Cannot happen against this team. Um, really need to be able to protect the ball. Um, all that said, though, I feel like I've set this up to predict a loss, but I'm, Duke should win this game pretty comfortably, really. Like if I'm just looking at the stats, I'm just looking at the at the paper here. Um you know, I, I would probably project like a 10 or 11 point win. However, it just seems everything that's set up around this is like a little bit of doomsday here for me. Hmm. Um, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't want to go first. So I'll let you go first. You predicted for us. Who's winning this? Well, I saw the black jerseys and I predicted a loss, so I'm sticking with it. I, I don't feel uh, what's what's our record in those. It's got to be like. Oh, you know. In the non-Zion years, it's probably <laughs> yeah, really bad. Yeah, yeah, you throw those, you like gotta throw those out. Two and eight or something. Yeah, yeah. Those guys love the black uniforms, but it but just, they were killers. They were dogs. Yeah, that's that's not the real reason, though. To be honest, it's it's <sighs> more just all the factors you kind of laid out, the psychological factors, the uh, the way I see the officiating going, the fact that it's going to be a physical game, which Duke has kind of struggled with over the last couple of years. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I'm not predicting like a blowout loss by any means, but you know, possession or two. Yeah. Unfortunate, but I, I hear it. Chew what you got. Oh, I guess I'll be the optimist of this group. Um, mm-hmm. and I'll take the win. I'll take, I'll take us by six, like, uh, 79, whatever that math equals out <laughs> to be. 73. Yeah. All right. All right. <laughs> For the history major, guys. Not a the most yeah. impressive part of that would be scoring 79. I mean, <laughs> yeah, really. With our yeah. offense. Yeah. All right, Bon, what about you? You picking a win here? You, you're sticking kind of on the negative side. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, listen, my, my heart is saying it's going to be a loss. Um, my head says kind of a win, honestly, like just analytically, like, yeah, they block a lot of shots. But if they're losing their best player, like let's say Mark doesn't play, like back injuries are notoriously like they linger, right? So like sure. even if he miraculously is ready to play, there's a chance he could re-injure it in the game. I'm going to assume he's not playing. So we've got our best player, Philip House. He's a national player of the year candidate. They don't have their best player. That I think gives us maybe a slight advantage. Um, you factor in, they're probably getting a friendly whistle and we have, I'm sorry to say it, very little post depth. I don't, I'm not really a Ryan Young believer. Um, I think he's a good passer. I think he's a really good post passer. I think he's got some great footwork. Um, I don't, as like a high end basketball player, I don't really see it. Um, and so my concern is that behind Filipowski, if we have to lean on Ryan Young and Sean Stewart up against uh, uh, Brazil and Mitchell, I think that's going to be too tough for us. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm gonna say I'm gonna say we win by like two because Jeremy Roach hits like a half court three at the end of the game or something. Uh, it's it's, a, it's gonna be a toss up, really. Yeah. Um, I one like thing the, we uh, one thing we do have going for us is their offense is not very not good. Very good. Yeah. Um, you know they take a lot of like just really ugly contested mid range shots. Um, and so if their best player is out that offense could get ugly and we might just win kind of like the MSU game where we did not play well, but MSU was just worse. Yeah, that's fair. Um, though they're definitely shooting 70% on those contested pull-up twos tomorrow. Oh yeah, for sure. sure. Right. Like that's, that's (laughs) happening. Um, Mark or no Mark, you know, whatever he's, whatever his status is, that's going down. Um, yeah, you know, I think I agree with pretty much everything that's been said. Um, my head definitely tells me that like, like I said, on paper, like I think this should, should be a, a win um the way it's trending though it's tough you know I, I i'm gonna have to do it too I, i'm just i'm gonna say we dropped this game um I, I just think they're so desperate they're in a place where arkansas was what preseason top 15 or top 20 or something um they've seen the wheels kind of fall off here maybe there's something going on chemistry wise or roster construction wise or fit wise but i, I think like what bum was saying i think muscleman's gonna have these guys ready to go um and if they do, like what I anticipate, if they just start out with an insane level of energy, it's so hard to match that because they're not just going to like, oh, OK, we're up eight, nothing. Here goes our energy. That place is going to just can build and build and build. Um, yeah. And, you know, we've talked about our slow starts. This would be a great game for that to kind of reset um, and for us to actually start out playing well. Um, so, yeah, I'll go Arkansas by about. I think it'll be close i'll go by five so 75 70 or something like that um, by scotty thurman fingernail yeah i don't know i mean you know like i said we should win um but it's hard to match desperation when you're playing a team that's supposed to be good right this isn't a four and three team that's just not good a true four and three team this is a four and three team that everyone predicted to be pretty good now that doesn't mean that they are um but if there's anything left in trying to regain some of that magic it has to happen for them tomorrow night so um, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. But now that said, if Mark doesn't play that, I would, I would flip that around a little bit. Cause I don't think they have the depth to withstand that or the shot making to withstand that. Um, but it's Duke and we, we all know that this dude's playing right. 100%. He's playing 38 minutes going for 30. Um, you know, all the, all the cliche stuff there is happening. So, um, we'll see, we'll see, but Let's pan out a little bit here for you, Bun. What What is your kind of expectations on the broader scope of the season? So I know Duke came in, um, you know, in that one, two, three kind of contention. I think things have kind of slipped a little bit, you know, like the energy from the fan base is kind of like, oh, maybe we're not really that final four contender yet that we were kind of envisioning. Is that still kind of your expectations for the season of like, look, this group's got to get to Phoenix or what defines success in year two for John? Oh, man, it's a good question. Um Broadly speaking, as a sports fan, I found that lowering expectations makes me very much, much happier as a sports fan. So (laughs) uh, you set the bar low. It's very easy to clear. Um, That said, I think we have one of the one. I think we have a final four contender. Uh, We have one of the best teams because I think consequently we have one of the best players. I think Filipowski is going to contend for a national player of the year uh, trophy. Might not win it because Zach Eady looks like an absolute freak at this level, but I think Filipowski is going to deserve uh, recognition around the end of the year. Um, you know, when you have two guys like Filipowski and Tyrese Proctor, who on any given night are going to be the two best players on the floor, I think that gives you a significant advantage. Um, so 
the ACC is always going to be very, very tough. It's always going to be very difficult to navigate that unscathed. You're not going to make it through. Um, but, you know, if you told me at the end of the year, this team won 30 games, maybe goes like 30 and five, contends for the ACC crown and pushes for a final four, I'd be very happy with that because I think that's where that's the level that the program is at, which is a testament to Shire because that's the level that the program was at with Coach K. And it hasn't dropped off from that expectation whatsoever. Um, you know, maybe more level headed people might say like, oh, well, I'm just hoping we'll, we'll win 25, maybe get up into the top three of the ACC. And that's fine. But I think we're a better team than that. I think we are a legit final four contender. Yeah, I think that's hard, too, because he's at that point where, like, you're right. That's exactly what Kay was doing, right? 28 to 30 games a year in contention for a top three finish, likely going to win the ACC tournament. And then you see what happens um, for John, though. He doesn't he doesn't have those five rings to rest on. Right. So there I think it's going to be difficult for him. Maybe not so for him, but maybe for the fan base or for some of the noise until that really happens. Right. And I don't think it's fair to say you got to win a title. Um, but I think you do have to like easily get into that second weekend and just start to see what happens. That's always kind of been for me, the barometer, right? Can you get to the second weekend, survive that first weekend of chaos? Cause we're typically a top three to four seed, right? So it's, can you survive that? You get to the second weekend, then you're playing good teams and it's just all about matchups at that point. Um, but I think it is hard for a team like Duke, a fan base like Duke to really have like what makes a good season expectation wise when everything's just about banners. Um, and I wouldn't trade that. Like I wouldn't want to root for a program that where that's not your expectation, but I think it's hard to dial back in and shoot. We've talked about this all the time. So it's like, okay, so in the hundred and plus years, we've only had five good seasons. Like you can't say that, right? There's been a lot of great seasons. 99 was phenomenal. 98 was great. 2011 was really fun. Like it's hard to say that um, in a crapshoot tournament. But I think it can kind of like it gets us a little out of whack sometimes of trying to objectively look at this and say, okay, that's a good season. Um, Yeah. And that's honestly why I think you shouldn't even consider the NCAA tournament result uh, as what measures a good season because that draw is freakish, right? Like you could go through the entire uh, NCAA tournament and not face a top five seed, right? You could also go into that tournament and end up playing 10 top 10 or six top 10 uh, Ken Palm teams just because of the way the seeding can get wonky and how resumes can kind of like change. So like you go into a season, the difference between a 30 win program that makes it to the final four and a 30 win program that gets knocked out in the first round is extremely minute. It's just a matter of the draw and like what happens that day. Um, but at the end of the year, if we look back on the season and say like, all right, cool, we went 30 and five, maybe bounces didn't go our way in you know the tournaments. You can still be proud of like what the team was and recognize that it was one of the best teams. I mean, Duke's arguably best team of all time didn't win the national championship, but we're not sitting around talking about, you know, we we always talk about the 1999 team as the best, as one of the best Duke teams of all time, knowing that they didn't win the title. In fact, I think it would take them, right? Yeah, and even the Zion team, I mean, I think they were the number one overall seed heading into the tournament, and I believe Michigan State was the was our number two, but they could have been a number one seed that they're like the strongest one or strongest two seed. So, I mean, yeah, we didn't, we didn't make the final four. We were a a shot away from it. Um, But I wouldn't call that season a bad season just because of one shot that went in. Right. Sure. The point about expectations is a really good one. Um, I think that's what feels different for me this season than last year. Last year, just everything was kind of gravy. It was like, Oh, let's just see what John can do. 
and no expectations, really had no players coming back besides Jeremy, or no players of importance. And, uh, you know, just kind of seeing the players develop, seeing John's system kind of roll out and him kind of find himself was fun. But then you enter this season ranked number two. And so yeah. it's like every little setback becomes doom and gloom. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, like we've said, too, it's now the spotlight's there. Right. And now it's like, OK, this is sophomore season. And so the expectation is from freshman to sophomore to see a massive leap. Sometimes you do. Sometimes you don't. These things aren't like linear in that way. Right. Like it's it's difficult, I think, to expect Mitchell, Flip, Proctor and Shire to all have these massive sophomore jumps. Right. We see it a lot, but sometimes it doesn't quite happen. Um, I think there's a little bit of that this year that we've seen in terms of uh, maybe we haven't hit the ground running exactly where we thought we were going to be. I know some guys were injured through the offseason, um, so maybe there's still some continuity there. I still think you got to figure out a way to get McCain and Foster more integrated. Um, at least one of these guys needs to be a little bit more involved in what we're doing. Um, got to make shots, though, first, I guess, for that. But so yeah yeah we'll see we'll see but as we head into the holidays here what would you like to see going forward bun if you get a duke christmas gift what's on your wish list man that's a good question um for this team i want to see i want to see heart i want to see fight um you know we we kind of have talked about this a lot um we've got talent like we've got the makeup to contend for a national championship but often the difference between those teams that go to the final four and the teams that get knocked out early is do you have, do you have that internal fortitude to dig down and claw back from 10 points down, right? Do you have the ability to show up in a road game in a hostile environment on a Wednesday night on ESPN and show up and show that you can take a punch and you can deliver it. Um, I'm at the stage in the season where I look for qualities, not, what you're like i'm not really looking at kim pom or, or the stats yet because there's so much noise but i, I want to see the qualities in the team do you have fight do you have heart um to borrow one of coach k's uh favorite phrases do you have verve like that energy that like shows that you're ready to actually take this seriously and compete um i think that's really all you can take away from a lot of these games um there's just really not much to discern from beating Bucknell by 30, you know, but I can, I can see that guys are like ready to play. Who's ready to come off the bench. Who's ready to contribute, you know, show me what you got. And then when we get to ACC play, we can actually put that to the test and see how it performs. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's fair. Um, Shoe, what do you got? You want a Chris, you get a Christmas gift from Duke. What is it? I mean, Chris named pretty much all of it. You know, I'd, I'd like to see more, maybe Ryan Young dunks. Can I get like okay. two more of those? Hey, dude caught a body almost on that transition. If yeah. somebody was there, he was going up regardless. Yeah. So yeah, you guys think John Shire can still dunk? He he didn't dunk in college, but like maybe once or twice. I'm I'm not sure. I don't know. I know man. me at 34, my knees were shot already. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, not. yeah. yeah but you're not six now. five though. That's, <laughs> true. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Um, I don't know. I, I bet Seawell still can. I bet yeah, he can yeah. still do it. And he's probably what. 45? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 45, yeah, probably. Because oh, he was at uh, Duke like 10 years before. Shot yeah, him. yeah. So, yeah, somewhere in that ballpark. All right, Roll. any any different uh, Christmas wish list for you? Um, Yeah, I mean, I just like to see some of those uh, end-of-the-bench guys kind of integrate themselves a little bit. I want to see like an increasing role for Stewart because I think he can give us something that nobody else on the team can, um, especially in the role as a backup five, just what he could potentially do defensively with switching and all that it's just 
a component that Ryan, you know, Ryan plays really hard, rebounds well, passes well, but he can't provide that. So yeah, seeing uh, Stewart get a little bit more integrated, um, you already mentioned Foster and McCain, but seeing them like really find their role in the offense as well. And then, uh, you know, even just some nice spot minutes for guys like Blakes and stuff, especially in these games over Christmas break that are going to be a little bit easier. Yeah. Um, yeah, I agree with pretty much everything that you all said. I think for me, and it kind of comes back to the the fight part of, and I think I talked about this on our preview pod, um, we lost five games last year by double digits. I don't want to see that, right? Like, I don't want to see us just getting waxed multiple times, right? Purdue hung 20 on us. Um, Wake beat us by 11. NC State beat us by 24. Um, you know, Miami. Yeah, these things can happen. Like they've happened to title teams at Duke, right? Like I go back to I always reference January of 2015 for that team when they played State and Miami back to back and got railroaded. Um, but those were two games and that team had already proven they can go on to a top five team's court in Wisconsin and, and win that game, right? We can go to number one UVA undefeated and win that game. These teams, have, this group hasn't shown that yet, right? They just haven't shown that they can go beat a top five team. Um, now, granted, they haven't had a ton of opportunities to do that, but I think they're like 0-4 or whatever it is, 0-3 in those kind of big marquee games. Um, that's what I want to see. Right. Let's not get blown out. Everyone gets the one off. You get one Georgetown, you get one NC State, you get one Miami. Five games by double figures is a bit much for me, especially when you return all of these guys. Um, maybe that's preparation. Maybe that's just not really understanding, you know, adjusting to the college landscape. But at this point, you know, like I said, you got a senior and three sophomores out there like that. I don't want to see that. Um Call it heart, call it effort, whatever. I think if I could get a gift to not get blown out as we get ready to head to, to Arkansas. And well, the, the Arizona here. game was a good sign in that regard, right? Great uh, we, sign. Yep. What were we down at the half? Like 12 or something? 11, I think. 11, yeah. yeah. And then to fight back and tie it and actually have the lead and have a real chance to win that game, I thought, to me, showed a lot of heart, especially Jeremy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And to to maybe hit on the, the fight and stuff, too, it's – Maybe let's not slap the four and then give up the game clinching and one. You know, may, maybe not do that. You know, that's kind of the not the best look there. But uh, yeah, so that, that's our Christmas list right there. Um, you know, I don't really have much else, Bun. Anything you got in terms of just thoughts on the season, thoughts on Shire looking ahead? We talked about the recruiting a little bit. Any any Cooper Flag hot takes out there floating around? Oof. I'll be honest with you. I, ha- I have not watched any tape of Cooper Flag. Uh, I've heard all the all the acclaim and everything. Like That's hundreds. the hottest take I've heard on him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a hot one. <laughs> yeah, my hot take is I have no take on Cooper Flag. Um, no, I, I actually, when I was hosting the podcast, I would get a little bit of a like shrift from people because – I am not into recruiting really all that much. Um, I actually, this is, gonna, this is my hot take. I don't think recruiting is all that interesting. Um, show me what you can do on a basketball court, right? Like how many, how many five stars have we seen come through Duke who did not make it into the NBA because they didn't have the talent. They were five stars because of like gaming and AAU system that got them publicity, that got them interviews, that got them ranked on websites. Like I get it. That's all part of the business. That's like a thing. But that doesn't mean you can play ball like there's plenty of guys that come to college who are not five star recruits who can ball, who get overlooked because they don't play in that AAU system and everything. And I I don't I'm not going to harp on Cooper flag because I think he's probably going to be great. But there's a non zero chance that a guy we get a five star kid comes to Duke and doesn't contribute, you know, like 
I, I don't want to name names, but like I'm sure every everyone can think of a five star kid who's played at Duke in the last 10 years who has gone on to do absolutely nothing. And like that's part of the game. Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm very much a person of like, show me what you can do at Duke. You know, when you get to, to Cameron and you have to play in front of 9,314 people on ESPN against Arizona or Carolina or whoever, show me what you can do there. I don't really care if you're a freshman. I don't really care if you're a senior or a five-star or a three-star because I've seen players that I've seen some three-star kids like Tyler Thornton who showed up and played every damn game with all of their heart and like made valuable winning moments. And I've seen five-star kids come in like kids I'm not going to name because I don't want to start that did not have those same skills or that same heart or that belief because they they've been told their whole lives that like they are the next LeBron when they really aren't. Right. So anyway, uh, that my hot take is like I don't really care about recruiting. Show me what you can do on the court. <laughs> okay. 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 I'll take that. I'll take that. Um. I think too, that goes back to the point earlier about we can get jaded to it too. Even if you do follow this stuff, you can still kind of get jaded because, you know, when, when you are that five star, you are the system, right? Like in most of the high schools or unless you go somewhere like a Oak Hill or a Montverde or somewhere, um, you are the system. And then you come to Duke and it's like, nah, bro, you're just a piece, right? Like uh, look at a Caleb Foster who says, I've never, I haven't come off the bench in six years, dude. Like, and here I am, right? And I got to figure it out and I got to figure out what this means. Um that's tough for a lot of people, you know, especially in college, but then you get to the NBA and that's why people wash because it's, you can't figure out how to integrate. So. Um, well, and to just take that full circle, you know, when we were talking about coach K's ladder teams and we talked about that runway where you're spending the first two months trying to get all these guys to learn how to play together. All of them are coming from that scenario where they were all the, the man on the team taking 40 shots every night. And when you go to a team and all of a sudden you're taking eight shots a night, it's a very different attitude. And if you don't have that um, that wherewithal to play within that team concept and be the guy who goes from taking 50 shots a night to five, you're not going to make it at, the, at a higher level. And Duke was spending two months trying to figure out who was going to be the guy, who was going to be the second guy, who's going to be the third guy. And that shortened the runway. But now what Shire's doing, he's got that long runway built out because we know Filipowski's guy. You know, you've, these freshmen are coming in knowing Filipowski's taking a lot of shots. They know yeah. that Tyrese Proctor's taking a lot of shots. So it's much easier for them to get into their roles and figure out where they fit into this team. And I think that's, to me, if I'm a Duke fan, that's where I'm feeling really positive because I'm looking at that roster construction and feeling a lot better about the bones of the club, of, of the program, than I was like maybe over the last like 10 years. Sure, sure. I think that's fair. Um, and that's a good point about folks coming in knowing what's there, right? Like, I know I've seen Flip all of last year. They watch him too, right? I know this guy's going to demand a lot of coverage. I know Tyrese is going to have the ball and be running things. I have to figure out how to compliment those guys to play. Yeah. Right? I don't have to beat those guys out. That's probably not going to happen. I have to figure out how to play with them versus the other model is it, it can create good internal competition, I guess, but it could also kind of sour out a little bit too. Um it makes it really hard to define roles. Expectations. Yeah, yeah. You tell the team, we know who we are. This is how we play. And when you got five freshmen coming in, all competing for the same spots, that that expectation is not clear. It's not very clear how you're playing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, you know, again, Bum, we appreciate your time. I don't know. I don't, we don't really cover it a whole lot here. Um, any spicy Duke football takes for you? I don't know how much you follow that, but obviously there's been a lot of kind of turmoil oh. going on behind <laughs> the scenes there. Um, we are on a Zoom right now. Maybe it's the most appropriate time. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> let me think about what I can say uh, on air, what I can't. Um, 
I, the Duke football job is one of those jobs where it's a stepping stone and you have to just be honest with that position. Like the odds that we find a, a football coach who's going to come in and be a, a lifer that's going to you know lead us for 10 or 15 seasons are it's just incredibly low because the reality is if anybody comes to Duke and finds success, they're going to be a top target at a bigger job. They yeah. just are. And unless we can find the money to compete with, you know, programs like the upper echelon, like Texas A&M, I mean, no one's going to compete with Texas A&M money, but like when you, if you ever get serious about what the program can be, uh, and it's especially in terms of investment, because like the facilities, the stadium, the game day atmosphere at Duke football, I'm sorry. I love it. I've been going to games for 20 years, but it is severely lacking compared to every other ACC program. Like, I don't know if you guys saw the crowd for the Pittsburgh game last weekend. Embarrassingly low. Same crowd for Wake Forest. I mean, we were talking 5,000 people tops for an ACC football game. It's bad. Mm-hmm. And I like I get why Elko would look around and say, like, I don't want to spend five, six years of my coaching prime coaching in front of uh, 4,000 high school fans, you know, whatever. And, like, it's just – I think you have to treat the Duke job as a stepping stone job. But you can do that in a way that you make it a an enticing endeavor for any hot up and coming coach, right? Like if you treat this as an opportunity for the top prospects to come in and be and get coaching experience, um, whether that's like a Sharon Moore at Michigan or uh, somebody got like a candle down at uh, over at Toledo, you know, a young hot prospect in the coaching ranks, come to Duke, prove yourself for three years, go get that big job, and we repeat the cycle. If you embrace that, I actually think there's a really strong future for Duke football as like a niche uh, program, but you have to embrace it. You have to say like, we understand what we are. If you keep trying to be NC state or, or Stanford or whoever, Michigan, it's never going to work because we're just not be who we are, you know, embrace the analytical side of football, go out and become like this weird experimentation of analytics in college football, go get like, that weird offshoot uh, offensive coordinator who no one wants to give a head coaching job, but might be the smartest man in the room. Try something <laughs> new. It might work because worst case scenario is you hire a coach that goes three and nine for two years and you fire him and you get something new. Duke fans are cool with that. You know, maybe not yeah. cool, but like we're used to it. We can survive that. Yeah. Who was who the kid cooking up plays on uh, little giants, you know, the annexation uh. of Puerto Rico. He's got to be like 35, 40 by now. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, can I, can I tell y'all a story real quick? So I don't know how much you guys follow European soccer. I know Raul f- hates it, but <laughs> there's, there's a guy in, um, oh, hold on. Let me, I think he's in France real quick. Let me uh, Google him. He got a head coaching job. He's in, uh, he's from Belgium. Uh, basically from playing football manager online. One of like the world's best at playing football manager. And he got a head coaching job at a club in France called Reims and he's freaking killing it, you know, because he's just trying unique experimental tactics that he's tried thousands of times in basically a laboratory. And he's brought that to the football field. Um, His name's William still Um, just look him up. He's done some really incredible work. He's 31. And I I think if Duke football is ever going to be like, a continued success. I think they need to embrace something like that. Be different, be weird, be experimental. Kind of the money ball approach, right? It's like, if you can't compete and get the top talent, you got to win on the margins. 
Absolutely. But that gets you to that point, right? If you do that successfully for a couple cycles, then maybe somebody does come in and they're not starting so far down where they break through, not to the college playoffs, right? But they break through to another ACC title game or they break through to these seasons and then you start to solidify that self. But you're right, unless you're going to dump that kind of money and you're, it's un realistic to dump AM kind of money like i saw some of the write-up contracts for that stuff 11 million for just staff right like all of these incentives and bonuses Dude, texas and a&m paid their last coach 75 million to go away to get out bro like let me <laughs> to get not that coach at all bro yeah. yeah let me get that um that's why that's when you hop on a plane at 2 a.m you offered me 75 million dollars i quit my job right now i'm on a plane at 2 a.m. Yeah, right. no questions asked and they turn around <laughs> and invest 60 million in the next guy you know like yep. Duke, respectfully, is like, I know we have like $8 billion in endowment or whatever. Uh, they're never going to compete with that. Electively, they are never going to compete with that. You know, that's not where our our football program business is. Uh, and, and frankly, that's a whole other podcast that we could talk about. Like the actual business side of college athletics now, like has changed. Yeah, I think did a great job of hiring a um, like a general manager, so to speak, of their basketball program. And I think that's going to end up becoming requisite for so many programs now because there is now a financial side of managing your program, right? Like Duke is, and this is just hypothetically, like we're we're in a position where like if a five-star kid gets paid like a couple million bucks to come to Duke and then doesn't pan out or maybe he pulls a Jalen Johnson and just quits midseason, like, oh, now you've got legal ramifications that you have to talk about with like investment or breach of contract and stuff like that. And that's where it gets real messy mm. but by having somebody like in that general manager role who can oversee a lot of that stuff and talk about things like, okay, our salary cap or our investment, like funding over, you know, a five-year period, like, well, you know, we spent $30 million on all of these five-star kids the last five years. And what do we have to show for it? No national championships. Do we want to continue investing that much money every year? Those are questions that are going to start being asked that have never been asked at the college level before. And I think the programs that uh, embrace that early adoption of how they like actually run it like an NBA program or, or an NFL program, that will actually get you a competitive advantage. Yeah, yeah that's a good point. Um, and I don't want to make it seem like obviously there was stuff that went down. We're not advocating for like maybe how all of this went down with Elko, right? I think there was some stuff there that, you know, people questioned or it made them feel a certain type of way. So my heart's there for all the diehards, especially the section 17 guys. Um, I know they cover this thing. They're really intense and passionate about it. So I, I feel you for that, but I do think that just financially it's inevitable that you're going to get this level of turnover. Um, but I mean, and I don't blame Elko for taking the money. I really don't. I blame Elko for how he left, right? Sure, like right. It, it, if he had just done the right thing and, you know, in that meeting with the team and said, listen, they've offered me a lot of money. It's life-changing money. And I need to take it because it's what's best for my family. I think every single player in that meeting would have been like, yeah, I get it. Like I would have done the same, right? You know, because they're, they're also in that position. Like the, Riley Leonard's going to get a seven-figure deal to go transfer somewhere else. He would totally understand. But to say you're 50-50 and then get on a plane at 2 a.m. to go to Texas A&M and then you're singing the freaking fight song the next day at a press conference, like, come on, man. Like, yeah. grow up. Be a, be a man. Say the tough thing that you got to say and just shake hands and walk away. Yeah. Because to me, it, and I don't follow as, in, you know, intrinsically as some others do, but to me, it seemed like an easy out for him. Like, you got this massive contract. You've, you've been there previously, so there's a home 
tie there, it's an easy out, right? It's an easy, guys, we had a great run. This is an opportunity I can't pass up, right? And most everybody would probably understand that. Um, but, you know, whatever. We, we talk basketball over here. So, um, you know, <laughs> I just just wanted to throw that out there for, for some of our followers. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. well, but again. Shout oh, shout out Justin Robinson, by the way, coming back to the program. Yeah, yeah. yeah we talked about that offline. But, yeah, yeah. director of player development. Um, that's obviously huge. I know that he had been playing over in Israel, I think. And obviously yep. there's a lot of stuff going on with the Gaza, Palestinian stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they had to put a halt on that. He was back in Cameron for the last game or two. Obviously, something was brewing that whole time. So couldn't pick a better, nicer dude to come back and to be in charge of that stuff. And um, I think didn't no one start there as well, or maybe yeah. even John started. So there's an upward mobility there for him. You know, there's was, was a meal to... ever in that position. I want to say he was. I maybe he too, was. Yeah. yeah, that's where he was before he got hired away by the Celtics. Yep. Yep. Yeah. 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 Um, so I think we've seen that become a potential um, assistant coaching opportunity there. So um, shouts to J-Rob. Always good to have him have him back. Maybe we'll get more of that, the Admiral and Cameron. So um, that was cool, too. But uh, well, Bunt, again, we appreciate it. This is our 100. So wanted to have you back on and, um, you know, kind of kick things around for a little bit. Seems like we see things pretty similar. Uh, looking forward to tomorrow night. I know two of us picked a loss. So. We'll see. We'll see. Maybe that's just a little bit of uh, psychological protection there. Um, at least that's what I'm going to tell myself. Hedging hedge yeah. the heart. Yep. Yeah, just just a little hedge there. See, the thing is, though, if I could do that and then not be mad when it does happen, that's where I need <laughs> to get. Instead, I'll be that way, and then I'll be furious watching it play out exactly how I said it would play out. Um, but, you know, maybe that's uh, that's the next level on this fandom stuff. You need but, a small um, dose of apathy. Just an, just enough apathy yeah. that you kind of like, yeah, well, a loss is a loss. You yeah, know? just a little bit of indifference just tossed in, you know, yeah. just a little bit. But it makes the winds better, I guess, too. So you have to kind of just float around with it a little bit. But, uh, well, again, you know, we appreciate you, Bun, for coming on. Um, we'll probably come back, you know, depending on how this Arkansas game goes, we might come back and talk about that a little bit. If not, we'll we'll kind of preview the next slate here coming up. Um, you know, if you haven't get, had a chance yet, you can go over to the YouTube, thedevilsden.com over there. There's a lot of videos up for player interviews. Coach just had some media availability. I think that was yesterday. Um, unfortunately for him, he had to kind of follow up the Elko Nita King press conference. So, you know, got kind of stuck in a bad spot there, but that's over there. Obviously, you can check us out on the boards, thedevilsden.com. We're on Twitter, devilsdenpod247. You can email us at thedevilsdenpod at gmail.com and uh, gear up for that funeral tomorrow, fellas. Keep the faces strong in the verb high. Go do. Mm-hmm.